happy Groundhog Day and welcome back to the You're Not Qualified podcast, imposters. So glad to have you here. Thank you for coming back if this is not the first episode you've listened to and welcome if this is your first time joining. I'm Courtney Heater. I'm your host. On this podcast, we chat with people who are doing things that they thought that they were traditionally unqualified to do, that they are afraid to do because they don't feel good enough to do it, they don't feel qualified, they don't feel like they have the relevant skills to change careers, to pursue a hobby that they've always wanted to try, to travel around the world on a motorcycle when they've never ridden a motorcycle before with a dog on the back that weighs 75 pounds. That's right, a little spoiler for today's episode. But on this podcast, we are trying to encourage you to go do the damn thing and set the naysayers aside, attack your own imposter monsters, live the life you want to live. Just do it. I don't want to get married. I want to stay single and let my hair flow in the wind as I ride through the glen, firing arrows into the sunset. We are chatting with Jess Stone today the aforementioned motorcyclist, about her company, Roughly. Jess has invented a way for dogs to ride on the back of motorcycles, so not a sidecar, literally on the back. So if you have a dog and if you have a motorcycle, or if you need an excuse to get a motorcycle, you know, maybe you've always wanted one and you have a dog and you want to take the dog on adventures, but you don't want a sidecar, look no further, friends. We chat about believing in yourself to do remarkable things, being introverted and needing to market yourself and your business and everything that goes along with that, coming out of your shell to create the life that you want and honestly the life that you deserve and the life you can have once you get past those feelings that are causing you to stop or pause, trying to help you get over those feelings. There are hurdles there. This podcast is your pole vaults. Maybe even your pole vault over scary shit and into your life. Going after your dreams takes guts. There's no doubt about it, but it's most always worth it. I promise. And Jess is here also to tell us how she overcame fears of doubt, how she's still overcoming fears of doubt, because as much as you try, sometimes it does still rear its ugly head but there's ways to get around it and you should always just keep going one foot in front of the other. I can't wait for you to meet Jess and her wonderful pup. Let's go listen to Jess's wisdom. Let's go. I am the queen. You listen to me. All right. So we are welcoming Jess Stone to the You're Not Qualified podcast. Uh, Jess is currently in LA, but she travels all over the world with her dog on the back of her motorcycle. And she has a whole story and really cool movement behind all of it. We're going to dive into all of that and how she got where she is, the setbacks that she she saw and everything that she was put up against. But she's really badass. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here, Jess. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. And you're in LA till Friday. So I'm super stoked that you're at least in the same same uh, coast as me for now. Mm -hmm. uh, let's give you a little bit of a proper intro, though. So I did mention you have a beautiful German Shepherd. 
75 pounds, it said on your website, Mm -hmm. and you, you ride your motorcycle with her and you're raising money for an organization, Girl Up. Um, Tell us how this all came about, because I know you invented the back of the motorcycle thing Mm -hmm. and probably tested it out with your dog and everything. So let's dive in. Sure. Okay. So it's a bit of a story. Uh We started, uh, my husband and I now, Greg, um, we were international aid workers. So we lived in Africa for a long time. That's where we met. Uh, He was planning to do a North to South America motorcycle trip. And I didn't know how to ride. Uh, I wanted to continue the relationship with him. And he said I was welcome to come, but he wouldn't have me on the back of the bike, but I needed to learn how to ride my own motorcycle. Wow. So he taught me how to ride when we were in Liberia and West Africa. And uh, soon after, I only had about a thousand kilometers under my belt. Uh, We moved to LA where we got our motorcycles and we did it. We did a North to South America trip. So from Los Angeles up to British Columbia and then down to Santiago, Chile for eight months on the bikes. Wow. After that, we ended up moving to New Orleans for a couple of years, but then I was ready to sort of move on to something different. And so we decided to move to Guatemala. So in 2016, we moved to Guatemala and we have been there for the last six years. And it was in Guatemala, yeah, that we adopted Moxie, who's my German shepherd. Uh, I had always wanted a dog, but because we traveled so much, I never really had the opportunity to to get one. But when we were there, we finally adopted Moxie. And then I had to find a way to take her along. We we only had the motorcycles, didn't have a car. And I I didn't really want a sidecar or a trailer. And I knew she was going to be big. So she wasn't going to be a dog that I could just put in a backpack and ride around with. And I wanted to take her along on my adventures. So we started working with a local metal workshop about figuring out a way that we could take her along. And uh, through a number of different innovations and things that we came up with, we finalized our product and it's called the canine moto cockpit. And it's a <laughs> motorcycle dog carrier for all size dogs. It's custom for your bike. And that's what Moxie rides in. And I so love now, that. Yeah. So now we are, uh, we've decided to take it on the road and sort of be our own brand ambassadors and show off what the cockpit and the gear can do. So now we are on a around the world trip and I have partnered with the nonprofit Girl Up to raise $100,000. That's incredible. I also really, it says a lot about you and your husband's character that you, you got the dog and you thought about the dog first rather than is my lifestyle of this type of trip, you know, like life. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly on the road, going to accommodate a dog and you made it happen. You're like, we're not even going to like change anything. We're just going to accommodate Moxie and make sure mm-hmm. she's comfortable and she can always come with us. Yes. That's just awesome. Did you have to train her to sit on the motorcycle? So yeah, so she lays on the bike, but it really took about a weekend to train her how to ride. Smart dog. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like crate training. You know, you give them yeah. treats, you teach them how to be inside the crate, make them feel comfortable. Like it's their safe space. Same thing with the bike. And she's, Moxie's a bit of a beast. So her, her father is a show line shepherd and her mother is a working line shepherd. So she has a lot of prey drive. She is very active. Um, she's always wanting to go out there. She's the most ballsy dog I've ever seen. So she was ready to go like right away. Me, meanwhile, I was there and I was like anxious to even just turn on the bike on the, with having her on the back. But, oh like, yeah. It definitely was a process for me, for her. She leaped up, turned around, laid down and was like ready to go. 
So it's it's been a process for me, but for her, she's she sort That's of got so it right exciting. at the beginning. Yeah, I bet she in in her really smart shepherd brain was like, "This is how I can be with mom." Yes, because she's on this bike, and if mm-hmm. I'm on the bike, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, they, the moment that you leave them home once, they they never want to be left home again. Yeah. Uh, and they realize that all they need to do is get up on the bike to go with you, then they will come. And that's just it. Sweet, beautiful babe. Oh my God. <laughs> what a smart girl. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So could you tell us about Girl Up and how you found them, why you chose them? So being in international aid work, I've always had my eye on Girl Up. They were uh, founded by a, the United Nations Foundation. Uh, in 2010, and they work in 130 countries. Uh, So they're all around the world. And their goal is to provide leadership and development training for girls, specifically for girls. And it's all about teaching them how they can advocate for issues that matter to them. So depending on what they're dealing with in their community or their school or in their country, Girl Up gives them the resources to teach them how to fight for the things that matter to them. And I've always loved Girl Up because I loved the idea of gender equality and really focusing on that. And if I think if if I had had a Girl Up club the way that these girls did while I was growing up, like I would be so much further down the line than I am right now. You know, that that meeting those girls and sort of seeing the change makers that they are, they are kick-ass. They are like ready to go and do everything. And they've got this supportive group of other girls around them. And I just sort of wish that I I had that. So that's why I decided when I wanted to do this around the world trip that I wanted it to have a big impact. So that's why I reached out to Girl Up and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, let's partner together. And they're like, that's fantastic. So that's how we came up with the $100,000 fundraiser uh, with the ability for me to meet some of the Girl Up clubs along the way and really hear what those girls are fighting for, what their issues are, and share it with the people who were following my journey. That's amazing. I agree with that. I would, I wish that I had something like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my life is pretty great, but I, it took me, it took me a few years to really even figure out who I was and what I wanted to do as an adult. And I yep. feel like if that, if that had happened sooner on in my life with that kind of support behind me with other girls that are going mm-hmm. through life at the same time, cause they, do they gather girls that are around the same ages and everything for activities and such? Yeah, so they're the, they, they create these girl up clubs and the girls, mm-hmm. like they decide who wants to, who wants to be in the club and who doesn't like mm-hmm. they create their own and it could be anything from the elementary school level all the way up to the university level. So wow. where they are. Yeah. And so the issues really range depending on what they're really focused on. Once they get to like the university level, they're focused on things that are happening on their campus or issues that are happening in their country that they want to focus on. Anything from like girls in education to girls in sports to um, menstrual poverty issues that they have, like in India, for example, and issues with getting period uh, products. Everything that they focus on uh, are issues that are specific to them. And so it's really cool sort of seeing it throughout um, throughout the different ages. Yeah. Which one came first, you reaching out to Girl Up and deciding to raise this money, or you also have a company, Go Roughly, um, and you develop what is the seat for Moxie, and then you sell it, right? Yeah, so so Roughly is the brand, and Roughly we created in 2018, I guess I'd say. Nice. Um, and so Roughly creates ethical outdoor dog gear. So it's not just the cockpit, but we also do a whole line of dog products. So collars, leashes, beds, bandanas. Sweet. And obviously the reason we created it, 
was because of Moxie. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in Guatemala and the colors, they're just so beautiful. Everything is vibrant and lush. And I'm not a person who wears that much color. And so for me to wear a, like a very colorful shirt or a, a shawl or something like that, it, I, I wouldn't wear it often. It might be a one-time thing, but I was thinking my dog could pull that off. My dog could look beautiful like that and have those colors. So I started looking on the market and I couldn't find anything that I thought would be durable enough for my beastie German shepherd, uh, but I wanted it to be beautiful still. So I got in contact with uh, a local artisan that was working in our area in our village and this, sort of discussed the idea and the vision that I had in terms of something that was beautiful yet durable and use their traditional techniques. And she was able to help create it and make it come into life. And so from there, we started with the collars, we went to the leashes, and then we went through the whole textiles of beds, bandanas, and it's just continued to grow. And then through that, that's when the cockpit came in and the cockpit is all hand sewn. Everything is handmade, uh, each, each specific cockpit to your bike and custom. And it's, wow. it's just this whole thing. So roughly created um, a whole network of artisans. Uh, and it's just continued to grow. Like through COVID, everybody else was having uh, layoffs and they weren't able to keep their staff. Our women, they all work from their individual homes. So they take care of their kids or their parents. They don't have to go anywhere. They, they can just work from where they're comfortable in these small home workshops. And so that's, that kept them going throughout COVID. And especially with the dog boom and people wanting products, it was great for us because we were able to keep them on. They were able to work and it just was a win-win. So wow. we've grown this, this uh, this business to continue to support all these different indigenous Guatemalan women throughout throughout Guatemala and all uh, different villages and places in, in the in the country, and it was from there it was I was thinking well I can do more there's more of an impact that I can make can make so that's when I thought okay girl up is one thing because I know that they're in so many different countries and that would be a great way to just further this this impact that I'm having. What an impact that is. That's absolutely incredible. And I love that they've always just been working from home because everybody went to work from home throughout the world and they're like, oh, we've been doing this. This is, exactly. this is no different. Like yep. you had a you had a leg up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because you had all the setup and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's we had incredible. all the logistics, everything was sort of set because that's yeah. that was just the better way for it. Like because these are yeah. these are women who can just do this on whenever time that they want when they're not taking care of their kids or they're doing something, the kids are doing their homework, they're working on the weekend like it's just it just made sense yeah yeah um you're unstoppable that is like <laughs> that is very loud and clear here and I one thing you said really resonates because you're like I think I can do more so many people would see what you're already doing and be like this is absolutely incredible but you're like let's take it a step further because I know that there's more impact that can be made I feel like so many people can learn a lot from that kind of drive and that kind of like want to be that presence in the world so thank you for doing that that's amazing yeah. um and obviously you're following your dreams you're giving back to these Guatemalan women you're getting back to people that didn't know that they could take their dogs everywhere. Who knows? Maybe you're keeping dogs out of shelters because the people want to travel and now they can easier with their dogs and yeah. they don't have to leave them or give them up. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you're just going with it. But with all of that, of course, it comes setbacks, comes challenges. I'm sure you haven't always felt unstoppable. Maybe you don't feel unstoppable. I still at don't all. feel unstoppable, yeah. but it's like, very I don't nice know of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive a little bit into how uh, how all of that 
manifested in your life. Um, let's start with imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how has that impacted? That's like really broadly starting, but what's it been like in your life to just try to believe in yourself as much as you need to? So it took me a long time to realize that the thing that I was feeling was imposter syndrome. I just mm. thought that I had anxiety. I just thought that that was normal. I thought that everybody sort of dealt with it. I didn't oh, yeah. really, ha- I didn't know that that was the name that I should put on it. And it started, it, I've always had it always throughout my whole life, always had this feeling like that everybody was going to see that I was just a, a fraud, that I wasn't really the true thing, that everybody else out there was doing it better than I was. And, and somebody was just going to find out soon and just call me on it. And, and it really came to light with the motorcycling. That was the biggest, the biggest thing for me. When, when Greg taught me how to ride, we were, I was doing it in Liberia. I was the only woman like riding. There weren't very many other women around who were riding. And a bunch of guys would be standing out there and watching me and I would get anxious. And these are guys who ride these little, little sport bikes everywhere. And they, they're just fearless the way that they ride and they're watching me. And I'm just feeling like this isn't working. Meanwhile, Greg is really trying to to pump me up and, and help me continue. Yeah. And I got to the point where I was comfortable riding. Um, but I still always had in the back of my mind, like, what am I doing? And it really, it really came to the fore during our uh, eight month motorcycle trip, because I was still a new rider. I moved from a 160 CC bike to a 650. So it was a big jump for me, which meant that it's a heavier bike. It has a lot more power. Uh, And as a rider, somebody who's a new rider, that takes a lot of, of skill to be able to manage a bigger bike without dropping it, without like by, and having the confidence to continue. Mm -hmm. And throughout the eight month trip, every single day was a huge challenge for me. Every single day I would worry about, I would get to a hotel at night and I would worry about what the road was going to bring the next day. Cause I just felt like I wasn't going to make it. I felt like I didn't have what I needed to get through it, that I was just going to go down. And it's funny because a lot of motorcyclists worry about hurting themselves, that they're going to get injured. That wasn't even on my mind. I was worried about hurting my bike and embarrassing myself. And that Mm. was what I was focused on. I was focused Mm -hmm. on everything external. I wasn't really concerned about my own well-being. I was concerned Mm -hmm. about how I was going to feel when I dumped my bike in front of everybody at a stop sign. And how everybody else felt. Yeah. Yeah. And so throughout the the trip, when we, when we started and I was planning um, what I wanted to wear, I picked the most nondescript clothes I could find that were, that didn't make me look like a motorcyclist. Cause I didn't feel like a rider. I didn't feel like it was an identity that I deserved because I was just little old me. And I just had a few thousand kilometers and what am I, I'm, I'm nothing here. Everybody else out there is doing all these great trips and big trips and, and who am I? And so I, I basically got all black gear. So it looked like I could have just been coming from anywhere. You can really tell that I was a motorcyclist. Um, and then it was like, by the end of the trip, Greg looked at me like, oh my God, you've done all of these amazing things. How do you feel about it? I felt the same way I felt when I started the trip. I did not appreciate, I didn't celebrate any of the successes that I had because every, every single challenge felt like something new. And it felt like I was never growing on anything that I was doing. It was just one individual challenge that I was able to get just I just closed my eyes and, and, and got through it and I was able to get through that one and I knew that the next one was going to be just as hard there was no no learning happening throughout this whole process so it 
took me quite a long time. So that's eight months of everyday writing. And I yeah. still didn't feel good by the end. And Greg, he just didn't understand. He didn't, he didn't really, we would talk about it. And he's, he just didn't understand how I couldn't feel accomplished and yeah. how I was looking at it. Like everybody else was looking at me and they, and he's like, people are looking at you. You've done this great thing. You've done eight months of writing. Like not many people get a chance to do that. Not many people can do that. And you did it through the rain. You did it on off-road. You did it uh, when it was at speed, like all of this. And I looked at him like, yeah, but, but somebody else who had done it probably did it way better than me. Like, it's just a fluke that I got here. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just continued with that for a long time. Took a lot of sort of... Uh, sort of self-awareness and thinking through why I felt like that, because that was supposed to be a trip of a lifetime, yep. an eight month motorcycle trip. We spent a lot of money on it. We put a lot of time and energy into it. And, and we look back at it and, and Greg specifically, and he's like, that was not what I expected. He thought that this was going to be like this fantastic thing. And, and I just felt like I was letting everybody down. So it was yeah. a, it was a really tough eight months. And, uh, it, yeah, it definitely took a few years after that when we were in New Orleans, New Orleans and sort of thinking it through that I really understood where that was all coming from. Yeah, I do think that imposter syndrome and anxiety are very closely linked. And the the way that you say, I couldn't even relax, I couldn't even, you know, reflect on the day afterwards because you were so worried about the future mm-hmm. and like the next day, the next month, that... Mm-hmm that's both of those things. That's really the ugliest parts of anxiety. Um, you know, I struggle with anxiety. I know a lot of people that do, I think it's insanely common. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of it is because we just don't, we don't give ourselves enough credit and we don't understand that not everybody is judging us. We just, think that they are and like and I'm like in a way I'm like of course I don't think I'm the center of the universe like I don't think I do anything great but that's you do feel that you are and all eyes Mm -hmm. are on you yep but and it I'm that's like such a bummer that it took away from the whole eight months but you kept at it you're still writing yeah and it yeah after that when I took time and sort of thought about it like it it was a process Mm -hmm. and it was only by the time we got to Guatemala so let's say three or four years after that, or three years after that trip, did I start start to identify as being a writer? And that's where I feel like things sort of changed for me by, by feeling like I deserved that identity and that I now owned that identity of being a writer. It, it changed my mentality about a lot of things. I'm not saying that I don't feel, have imposter syndrome anymore. I still do. Oh God, every single day I still yeah. have it. It's, it doesn't go away, but at least I can put my finger on it and can understand where that's coming from. But it's not as, as, uh, as hard as it was during the trip. Like during the trip, we would, we would get to a hotel and at around three, four, five o'clock, I would need to sleep right away. Like I, I, that was my coping mechanism. He wanted to go out and explore and do things. I just had no energy. I was exhausted because I was just stressing the whole day about this and focused on what people were going to say and think and do. And it was, it was a horrible situation in that sense that I didn't get to really fully experience it. But, but now like it's, it's, things have really changed. And I, and I sort of look back at that time and I think about how far I've come uh, but it it definitely took a lot of work and a lot of sort of self-reflection. Yeah. And even you just know how like your body feels even like, yeah. right. It's just so tight. 
and you just, you cannot relax and Mm -hmm. all you can do is sleep or zone out with the TV or your phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That was it. Mm -hmm. It controls your life. Yeah, it does. It really does. And it's, it is such a shame because I, and I look at other people and they seem, they just, they just would seem so free that everything came easy to them. And I was looking at it like, why is this so hard for me? Why am I just struggling to get through the day? Like I'm just trying to get one foot in front of the other or ride one kilometer after the other. And it really shouldn't be this hard. And then I started to feel guilty that I was taking away from Greg and the experience that he was having and for myself, even taking it away that I'm spending all this money and I'm doing all of this, but I am not really enjoying it. Like it's it, Greg even stopped me halfway through the trip and, and really like sat me down. It's like, are you sure you want to continue this? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't really seem like you're enjoying. And we were still new then, like we had only been together for six months. So yeah. he didn't really know and, and understand it. And so he would at, he asked me when we were in Panama before we flew to Colombia and said, um, like, are you sure you want to continue this? Like, cause I, I don't think that, that we can continue this way anymore. Like we got to change something. And it was an eye opener. And it, obviously that initial conversation helped, but <laughs> soon enough, you slide right back into it. And one road becomes more difficult than the next. And it just feels like you're never, you're never growing. You're never, you're never achieving anything. Yeah. But you have two and a half more years. Two yeah. years. So two and a half years. So we've been on the road for 10 months. So we started in Guatemala. We went up to the Arctic Ocean and now we're on our way down south. So this time next year, we'll be at the end, the tip of, of um, Argentina. Then we will fly to South Africa, do six months in Africa, four months around Europe. And then we will go east for six months to get to Malaysia. And Malaysia will ship back to North America. Wow. So is that you have two and a half years to left? Left. I yep. see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that is to raise $100,000 or more. Yes, right? or more. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. For Girl Up. Yep. Why stop there? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Did having Moxie on the motorcycle make it better for you? 100%. Okay. Uh, having Moxie in my life in general made it better. Like I said, she's so ballsy. She will <laughs> do anything, you know? And I look at her and she, she's sort of my inspiration in that sense. Like mm-hmm. she's willing to go and do anything that's that's needed. And she she seems fearless. And I look at her and I think that's the way that I want to be. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I called her Moxie. Like mm-hmm. I thought like that's- She's perfect. got it. Exactly. <laughs> and so having her on the back, it, it makes me one, feel like I need to be a better rider because it's important for safety reasons and to be able to take her to these places. So I've been taking classes when I was coming through the States originally Originally, uh, taking off-road classes to just improve my skills and feel more comfortable about it. Um, and then as we, as we continue, like it, you can't ride a stretch without somebody trying to take your photo or to somebody video you to see Moxie on the back, because it's such a rare thing yeah. to see. And so it's, I, I can't be in the shadows anymore. I am an introvert, hundred percent. I love being behind the scenes. I am not the person who needs, who wants to be the front woman, but in this case, I have put myself in that position. Mm-hmm. And so it has helped me having her because a lot of people will be looking at her and paying attention to her. And she's mm-hmm. such a positive aspect and she brings so much pleasure and smiles to people's faces that it, it makes it a lot easier for me to engage. And she's like the biggest icebreaker that you could ever have. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so Literally. <it> really helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah, just a, a fluffy, happy yes. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Her smile on the website is even great. Like yeah, she's like, she's just excited to be here. <laughs> exactly. She's got her pink goggles on and everybody, the first thing that they say, oh my God, she's wearing goggles. Yeah, she's wearing goggles. <laughs> and it always killed me too, because they say she's wearing goggles. They don't, they don't say, Doggles. oh my gosh. No, they don't say, oh, that's such a cool thing that you've created that your dog can ride on the back of your motorcycle. No, oh, they think about the goggles. <laughs> the accessories matter the most, right? Not the invention of bringing her around the world. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would I'd be like, do you, well, yeah. you see what she's sitting in? Yeah, like, how exactly. cool is that? Would you mm-hmm. like one? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of running roughly then, yeah. Uh, what has been the experience with running the business? Because as a business owner, you kind of have to at least pretend to be extroverted because that's how you sell unless yeah. you have a whole marketing team, which you wouldn't starting yeah. out. Yeah. So how do you, how do you push past all of this to successfully run and grow a business? You know, it's been, it's been a learning process, uh, especially for this trip, for example. So I, I got to that point where I thought, okay, we should bring some sponsors on board, some people Mm -hmm. who could potentially financially help with it. And what does that involve? It involves cold calling and involves using connections and networking and what introvert enjoys doing any of that? Nobody. Mm -hmm. So I, I really had to push myself to be in that role. And what I did is I sort of dedicated like X amount of time. I'm like, if I just get these ones done in this time, then that's it. Then I don't have to do anything else for the day. And with that, I could move on to something else. And that's how I got myself through it. And it's, it, it was useful, you know, and it's just the more that I'm out there and, and also the more positive feedback that we receive, um, it, it just makes it a lot easier for me to be able to, to reach out and, um, and having a fun project like roughly or go roughly around the world with riding with a dog, you know, they're just, it, it's not like I'm selling refrigerators. It's I'm doing something that's meaningful and that's fun and that people want to get behind. So in that sense, it helps me. So I do have a bit of a leg up uh, when it comes to, to that, but we do ride for four days and then we work for three days. So we're on the road for four days. We're camping, we're wild camping as much as we can. Um, and then for three days, we're at a Airbnb or a motel hotel that has good mm-hmm. internet connection and where we can communicate with the team and, and with sponsors and, and everything else that we have going on to keep the business running. I see. So you're in your three day period now yes. or, okay. And then mm-hmm. you're going to be back on the road. On Friday. So mm-hmm. on Friday, I see. So if you are, you're in California then, and you're like, I want to stay in California for the next month or whatever mm-hmm. your, your uh, itinerary is, you just like travel to the next spot and like the so the logistics then of everything for the three days on has to be con- basically booked the week before yeah wow. and it's and it's terrible in that sense because then you're sort of stuck to a timeline right uh-huh. you're, you're booking an airbnb or a hotel or something and you know you need to make it so if there's a breakdown if there's bad weather whatever it is, if you don't want to like give up the, the cost that you've put into booking this place and putting a deposit down. So we really have to, luckily it has worked out really well. There's only been a couple of times where we've had to potentially alter our dates or ask for the Airbnb to switch things up or the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's worked out, but it is like every week when we're on the three days of working, one of my days basically is logistics of figuring out when yeah. and where we're going to be uh, the following week. So and it makes it a little harder because you have a dog. A hundred percent. Like you yeah. got to look for everything that's pet friendly. Yeah. Um, and places that are 
it's even the days that we're riding, you got to think about like, we don't, I don't love established campgrounds because then Moxie has to be on leash. It means that she's going to be protecting her campsite. Other dogs are going to be walking by. She's going to want to be like going at them and protecting her area. So it's mm-hmm. not relaxing for anybody after a long day of riding. Mm-hmm. So I have to really think about those things. And so wild camping or in dispersed campsites where she can run free, that's perfect. I love it. It's great for everybody. And then the days when we're stopped having a place that's, we try and find places that are like a little bit outside of the city that will still have a good internet connection or, or, or phone connection, being able to still have the amenities that we need, but might have a backyard or have some more space for her or a nice place where we could take her for a walk if yeah. we needed to, rather than being like in a high rise in the middle of Mexico city and then only having a little spot for her to go. Right. Yeah. And I can't even imagine like how (laughs) finding all of this, how long that takes. It takes long enough to, you know, plan one vacation vacation. away. I know. Yeah. You're just doing one after the other. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then like the other part of it is also sort of reaching out to the Airbnbs and sort of telling them what we're doing and, and seeing if, if they're interested in collaborating, like there's all of that marketing part of it as well that goes on with doing the logistics, but it's, you know, it hasn't been as tough as I expected it to be because places are a lot more pet friendly than you'd sort of expect, especially in yeah. Central America. Um, yeah. A lot of places won't advertise that they're pet friendly and maybe they're not. But the moment that I come there and I say, hey, I've got this dog. She's really well behaved, sort of. She's really well behaved and she <laughs> has her own bed. She's not going to jump up on your bed. She's going to we're going to take care and make sure that everything in your room stays nice and clean and, and everything's OK. And she's just going to lay here. Once they see her, they, they're more likely to say yes, even if they're not necessarily pet friendly. So yeah. it's just a matter of sort of having the guts to go out and ask, you know, and, and that's what this whole trip is about is having the guts to do a thing and asking is one of those things that's the most like uncomfortable for everybody. Right. Thank goodness Moxie is so friendly and yes. amazing with strangers. Okay. I have a, I have a small dog. He's a miniature schnauzer. Yeah. He just turned one, yeah. um, but he has, uh, he has fear, anxiety towards people. Okay. So just about any new person he meets, he, he wants to be friendly, but then he gets very scared and sometimes he'll nip, he'll mm-hmm. bark a lot. Um, so if we did that with him, honestly, like we've gone to Airbnbs <laughs> with him and we've had to keep him like across the yard, yeah, but they yeah. were like, you know, posted dog friendly. So we could never go anywhere. That's like, I know you're not dog friendly, but what about this guy? As he's like biting their ankle. That's the thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank goodness she's so good. And she's yeah, so- for the most part. Yeah. With, with people, she's really good. Um, the funny thing is, is she'll love you for one moment, but then she's moved on to the next thing. She is not a oh. lover. She is one of those dogs who is always focused on something else and making sure that everything else is okay in the same yeah. So she'll let you pet her. She'll put her ears back and let you love her. And then after a minute or so, then then that's it. Then she's moved <laughs> on to the next thing. So that works out really well. Yeah. She's like, okay, hi, bye. Yes. <laughs> nice exactly. to see you. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I got her, I always thought I was going to have a lover. I thought I was going to have uh-huh. a lap dog and you know, you see some of those shepherds on Instagram that are on the couch and snuggling with, no, mine is not like that. Mine is, she will come and she will let you love her. And then she will basically tell you to go away. She will like, look at you and she'll fuss. And then, then, you know, it's time to go because she's done. (laughs) Precious girl. I love that. Yeah. I've known a couple shepherds and they were all very affectionate. So I love to hear that. And she's long haired, right? 
No, she's not. She's not. She is a, she's a short hair. Short haired. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she sheds like crazy. And that's the other thing at the Airbnbs that we have to be careful about making sure that we clean up after her. Um, So I bring one of those um, like defer glove things that you can use on cloth so that it can get rid of it. If she's, if there's on the carpet or anything like that. Yep. And uh, sleeping on her bed. That's a good thing to train her too. Definitely. Mm -hmm. The um, loudest cheerleader that you have then sounds like Moxie. But would it be your husband? Yeah, hundred percent in the uh, background. Yeah, Greg in the background. Yeah, he's always there supporting when I need it. Um, to the point of if I'm concerned about when I'm writing an email and it's something that I'm anxious about, and I would just mm-hmm. take a moment and, and talk with him, and, and he'll give me feedback. And normally, normally I don't I don't need him for anything. It's just sort of that sounding board and having somebody there to to share it with and, and just get that confirmation that yes, it's good to go and you're ready to move on. Um, and he has been fantastic throughout this whole process. And uh, it's funny because a lot of people will say, because I, I will say I'm riding around the world with my German Shepherd on the back. And then people sort of see photos of Greg and they're like, but wait, your husband's with you. I'm like, yes, he is. And he's a big part of it. Greg carries the camping gear um, and he's my gear mule. He is right there doing all of the filming as well because we filmed the adventure. And, uh, and people will say, but you're not being honest about it. I'm like, I'm the one who's riding with the big dog. Greg is riding with the, the camping gear and mm-hmm. we are riding together. I'm not like trying to hide anything, but I just mm-hmm. want people to understand that like that's sort of the separation, but we are doing this as a, as a duo. Uh, we do separate once in a while and he goes and does one road and I do another, uh, but it's, it's great to have him along and, and that we can both sort of film each other and the experience of, of what it's like for, for to travel with a big dog because not a lot of people ever get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And now more people can because of your invention. Exactly. Yeah. We have a few hundred now around the world uh, that ride with their big dogs. So we've got, we've got, uh, so we've got the nano cockpit, which is like for dogs less than 20 pounds. So little guys all the way up to our large size where we've done cockpits for 120 pounders. So it it really ranges and, and you you can't imagine how excited people are when they finally figure out that they can ride with their dog, you know, yeah, they are, they are the, the most pleasant customers that I have ever had, you know, that they can, that they feel that way. So I'm I'm glad that our product is able to help people go out there and share the thrill of the ride together. Moxie sitting on it makes sense and they lay down, but 120 pound dog, do they have to sit up? Nope. They're still laying down. Most of the time it sort of depends on what bike it is. It has to be a big enough bike to be able to support the, the weight in the cockpit. Um, but yeah, they're laying down, so they're comfortable the whole time and they're busy sniffing and looking like mm-hmm. Moxie does not sleep the whole ride. She's looking around and, and seeing and smelling new things all the time. So she is being stimulated constantly. I bet she's so tired after. It's funny. Like she'll have a burst of energy when she gets off the bike and she uh-huh. wants to, to play fetch or she wants to do something. She'll bark in your face and be excited. And then soon after then she's ready to to sleep. So it works out well, especially the nights that we're camping that she'll, she'll be excited at the beginning, but then she'll want to go into the tent and and sleep, you know, and the next day she's just ready to go again. Problem is, is like, she's building stamina as we go. So now we need to have longer and longer days to make her satisfied. (laughs) Yeah. And her adrenaline is just like peak because she, she now knows, she knows what these stops mean, I bet. And like where, what is, and when you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. they're too smart. You can't trick them. No, not at all. There's no tricking a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know it. 
<laughs> so the you're you have a non-traditional career path then yeah. right like it's the everything about it honestly the three days or the four days on the three days off which yeah, is not off thing. it's not yeah off. you have no off day <laughs> you have no off days and you are constantly traveling mm-hmm. you have you know the two and a half years left yep. where you're not going to have your traditional nine to five that at least you see in the united states mm-hmm. you you know you're just like you're you're outside of the status quo completely Let's talk about how this came to be and kind of the, I'm really curious about, and I like say this lightheartedly because we've talked about the other people looking in and the judgments that people have, Um, but it's just kind of part of the process, right, is you have to filter out every people, every other people's feelings and thoughts and what they say to you, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they don't affect you. Mm -hmm. So Diving deeper into that, we have a couple of questions to get into for your background, this grind that you're on that's incredible, (laughs) but just not like everybody else's grind, right? (laughs) Um, Let's start with uh, college. Did you go to college? What did you study? Yeah, so I'm originally from Canada. I grew up in Toronto. I went to University of Toronto as my undergrad. And it was during my undergrad that I decided to go to Africa for the first time. Uh, My parents are from Switzerland and they moved to Canada when they were like in their thirties because my mother couldn't get pregnant. So they thought, okay, let's go and travel. It's not having a family in Switzerland is not for them. So my parents decided to to start traveling within a month's time of of coming to Canada. My mother got pregnant. (laughs) And so with my sister. So they decided to settle. So they settled in Toronto. Three years later, I came along. So we grew up just the four of us, me, my sister and my parents. All of my relatives were in Switzerland, didn't grow up with much of an extended family at all. Uh, During the summers, we would go back to Switzerland. Um, So there was that aspect of travel. Uh, My dad had a small plane, so we would fly around once in a while and like as a a young child. So I do have experience of, of that type of travel. But it was always with my parents that was always very, very typical in that sense. And it was in my, uh, during my undergrad where I said, I'm ready to like test myself. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to find a place that was the most rural that I could find. So I ended up picking a, a village in Ghana in West Africa that had no electricity, no running water. It was like the most difficult that I could find. And I specifically picked that because I wanted to, to see what I could handle. I, I felt like I like I lived a middle-class life, but I sort of felt like I needed to see what I could, was, was really capable of. Mm-hmm. And then during my undergrad, I, I took a semester and I went out uh, just sort of on my own um, and ended up helping a, a primary school while I was out there. And it, it was the start of my sort of career change. I was originally doing sciences and I decided, okay, I, I really want to do something in international development. And so I, I finished out my degree and, and then I decided to do my master's in South Africa. So I went to the University of Witts, uh, did my master's in international development, and from there continued to have uh, positions in, in, in nonprofits uh, throughout Africa. So I spent maybe about six or seven years in Africa, different positions uh, throughout the way, and just loved it. You know, that was what I enjoyed. It was, it was different. 
because it was every six months or a year, up to two years of time in one role and you'd move to another country. Um, and a lot of them were hardship countries where after a couple of months, you'd have a week off for R&R &R because it was a difficult hardship place. And I just really loved that. Like it was perfect for me because I, I was able to get a bit of experience in different places mm -hmm. and it was it wasn't cushy. Like I loved that. And we were able to help people along the way. So I was working with nonprofits that were able to provide primary health care to people, um, to working with refugees, to doing uh, gender-based violence issues that came up in the community, HIV and AIDS issues. So it was all of these different things that, that were basic needs for people. And I was able to help provide that. And I just really, it really, it really spoke to me. And so I did all of that. And then it was there in, in, South, in South Sudan where I met Greg and we moved to Liberia and then sort of continued that. And then when it was timed, when we were in, in, in uh, Guatemala and Greg got the job to move us to Guatemala, working with a women's microfinance nonprofit, uh, it was there that I said, okay, like, I think that we can do something more. And after all of that time and working with nonprofits, I didn't really ever see myself as a businesswoman. It was not really my identity. I was, I was a nonprofit worker. I was an aid worker. That was mm -hmm. more my, my field. Mm -hmm. But the more that I, we got into working at roughly in the business itself and seeing the direct impact that paying people a good wage for their skills, the more that I saw that, the more I was like, this is the way to go. Like giving people that, that feeling of I I'm doing something that's worthwhile and that they are paying me for that. It, it just makes such a difference in people's lives. And so from there, I was like, this is, this is the best way to do it. It's not a handout. It's really being uh, purposeful with, with our funds and what we can do to help and support. Yeah. I'm seeing these threads throughout your experiences from obviously very young where you're like, yeah. I want to see what I'm capable of and you don't need to be comfortable all the time and cushy camping. Mm -hmm. I love camping, but it's not comfortable all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I love mountaineering. It's not comfortable. Yeah. None of it is. Uh, mm -hmm. but that is, you know, it's part of your lifeblood and it part is part of like what sets the fire under you. And that's just, it's a beautiful thing. You yeah. have like, this entrepreneurial spirit, philanthropic spirit. And it sounds like you have basically always had those in you. Is that right? Or did you I, kind I of say, come about in Africa? Yeah, I think I would say that it was it was Africa that really grew it in me. Yeah. I didn't really, I would never have said I was an entrepreneur before. That wasn't really what I ever expected to be. I thought I would have a career in international development and aid work and just work my way up the ladder. That's sort of what I thought. I didn't really think too much about it. Yeah. But it was only when when I started seeing what more I could do when we were in Guatemala that it really that really brought it home. And that's that's when I started saying, okay, I can I'm an entrepreneur, which is not something that I would have said in the past. So true though. <laughs> That's very much so. Yeah, you have a business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even you have a product you made. Yeah, like I know. That's as much as you can get. Syndrome is showing. I know. I know. I know. And that's, but we're here to help each other overcome it. That's, that's yes, exactly, exactly why I have this platform. It's like, <laughs> I know, it's fantastic. Why we're here. We mm. got to get through it because what you tell yourself isn't always the truth. Don't always believe what you tell yourself. Oftentimes yeah. it's not the truth. That's very true. Did you encounter other people on your journey that would 
kind of not believe in you, try to even steer you away from these dreams that you were developing for yourself and the life that you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I had a I had people around me who would say things like, why are you going to Guatemala? Like mm-hmm. what's out there? Um, they they came around to sort of understanding why I would go to Africa because it was clear well-paid positions and there was it was established, it was as an organization, but we sort of went out to Guatemala a lot. Um less established in that sense we went out there yeah greg had a job but we had to find our own housing like we had to get ourselves situated in a way when you do aid work everything is sort of arranged for you you've got your housing you've got a car you've got a driver like it's all sort of arranged um so this was very different and we did have people who would be like are you sure you want to go out there like what's what's that all about and then when we started the business it was like is that just like a side business like what are you gonna do with that like what's what's the point just making collars for dogs what's your day job yeah Uh (laughs) uh-huh and uh and when greg quit his job to to be full-time on roughly people were like oh my god you're giving up like this great job to to like do dog products like really and, and it's funny because Greg's background is in public health. He's a PhD in public health. And now he's doing dog products. Like it's, people can't understand why mm-hmm. we, we were drawn to that. And it's only if you, you know us and understand Moxie and, the, and our journey that it would make sense. And so when mm-hmm. people look in and they say those things, it's, I don't know, they don't understand it. And then it's the same thing with the around the world trip. We get people saying, um, why, why would you spend all that money? Like we've had somebody come and say something about like, you could have used that money and just donated it directly to Girl Up. You know, like you could have used the money that you're using on this trip to just donate. Like, why would you go in and make this big? Because you could make more. Exactly. And people just don't <laughs> see it. And then other people know about it. And they also want to like maybe start something or give even more yes. or tell their family. Exactly. Or, yeah, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And like, obviously I get concerns. People are concerned about like moxie and riding. It's motorcycle oh. in general is not the safest sport. Like there are things that can yeah. happen. I've had a number of crashes and I've had a number of crashes with moxie and the yeah. cockpit is, is crash tested. We've gone down numerous times and she's been great and had never had an issue, but like people will say that it's, it's animal abuse or that your dog doesn't have a choice and you get a lot of those things. And obviously Mm -hmm. on social media that comes out very easily because people can just write a thing and not really think too much about it. And so that's another thing that, that gets me. And I just, I I had gotten to the point where I've turned off my comments, the notifications on my phone, because I didn't want to see it anymore um, because they come through pretty frequently on my phone. And I didn't want to be distracted with something like that with somebody who doesn't really understand. And if it's somebody who is really concerned and and has a valid issue, I'd love to respond. And I, and I direct them to our video series so that they can see a crash firsthand and see how Moxie was okay. And, See what the traveling is like and and watch the videos that we've put together about why we created the cockpit why it's built the way that it's built and going through the process and and like I, I i love to share it but it's not for everybody uh and not everybody can understand it yeah. and so i do get a lot of that as as we're going but it's funny it's the mostly they're the keyboard war- warriors they're not the people that i meet in person that see me riding and are so pleased and excited to see it it's the people behind the scenes who who want to give a, an opinion and feedback on what they're seeing. Yeah, some people call them internet trolls. They're not yeah. very nice people yeah. and they wouldn't say that in person. So, no. yeah, just like it's empowering behind the keyboard because you don't have to ever um 
be held accountable for nope. Nope. anything that you say. No, yeah. and the, but the good thing is I've got a lot of people on my side in that sense who, uh-huh. who will help fight them for me and who will, will say, hey, well, you should go and watch this and you can see it in real life when you can, you can see the experience that she's had and, or you, or they'll say, oh yeah, she's done 40,000 miles with her dog. And like, so people can, are helping along the way. And that's, that's really, it's, it's nice for me to see that. So it's not just me fighting the world. You don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that does not sound fun. No. And also a Sisyphean task. So yes, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't get anywhere. You, no. d- you did mention some crash testing and stuff. Were there yeah. prototypes that you were working on? Oh yeah. Yeah. We yeah. did. I think we've gone through like three iterations of the uh, cockpit. Um, we always knew it was going to be in this sort of style because what it does is it keeps the weight nice and low and on the passenger seat. So it's basically like riding with a passenger, um, just a little bit extended back. So you're not changing so much the geometry of the bike and the way that the bike feels. It basically feels like you have a big duffel bag on the back with the head. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a lot easier for people who, who want to ride with their dog uh, by having them in that position and in that shape specifically, rather than sitting up and having their weight very high and shifting all over the mm-hmm. place or standing and just being very stressed the whole time because they're needing to keep their balance. Is the cockpit easily removable or is it yeah. stuck? Okay. Uh, it's, it's bolted in, but it takes maybe five to 10 minutes to remove. Oh, you the, can't take it to, out. Yeah. And, and I've done it too. I've removed it. I normally will keep it on. Like, say, for example, I need to go grocery shopping. I'll just have it on there and then I'll put some, some stuff, a, a duffel bag of stuff inside the cockpit. And it's, it's not a big deal. So, I, and it's funny, a lot of riders, when they're first getting their cockpits, they ask that question, like, can I remove it? Because I might not want to always ride with my dog. Mm-hmm. We're always like, the moment that you start with your dog, you're never going to want to ride with And them. they're not going to let you leave them either. Exactly. They know they can go. They're going to go. Yeah. And then we get people right when they get their cockpit and they respond back. And they're like, you are so right. Like, I'm not taking this thing off. I love it so much. <laughs> That's so special. Yeah. How many motorcycles do you have? Just one? Just one. I have one. Greg has one and that's it. Yeah. Okay. I actually had to get a new one on this trip. Um, my The one that I had previously was a 2013. That's the one that I did the North to South trip on. Um, it started to leak oil because I had an issue with my battery and the battery acid uh, leaked out around my engine, mm. basically creating little pinprick holes within the um, oil tubing, Yikes. causing even more problems. So I had basically four motorcycle dealers look at it along the way. They couldn't solve it. And then I got to the point where we came to Los Angeles on our way up north where I had an event in the following week and I was speaking, I was presenting and I was exhibiting and I needed to be there. Uh, and I didn't think that my bike could make it anymore. And so they told me that it was going to be a $6,000 bill to fix everything that was necessary on that, which is basically the cost of a new used bike. And so that's what I did. I went ahead and found a 2015, uh, motorcycle that only had 10,000 miles on it and got it sent to me in, uh, in Los Angeles, basically switched off everything that I had on the old bike to this bike. Cause they, the exact same model, um, and then continued on with that. And so that's what I'm riding right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And I have a, a question for you about you being an introvert here. Cause this is like, I've been like, like thinking about it and I'm like, this is very interesting. Cause none of this is adding up. So <laughs> like, it makes sense that you, of course, of course, it's like how you self-identify. It makes a lot of sense there, but you have to be, you have to be on, you have to be extroverted, right? 
you were totally willing to come on this podcast. You've been on many um, people that don't like to talk about themselves usually don't do that. And you go to these speaking events, which really jogged it when you just mentioned that I was like, so are you becoming, is this, are you doing this because you have to for roughly and for girl up? Um, or are you doing this because you're starting to become comfortable and now you kind of like telling your story? Okay. I'm, I'm practiced at telling my story. Yes, okay. I, I can say that. And that helps with the confidence of being able to say, yes, I'll come on the podcast and share my story. Right. Am I an introvert? And after this podcast, I will go into the bedroom and just be by myself for a little bit. Yes. 100%. <laughs> okay. So you do need to recharge. I do a hundred percent recharge and the, right. the speaking engagements are even worse because then they come up to you after, and then you want to have a whole conversation. I'm really good at turning it on for those moments, but those evenings where I have events, I'm not the person who's going to be sitting out by the campfire and chatting with people. Like I'm going mm. to need to like go to my spot and have a moment to just relax. And right. I, the, the recharge period has gotten a little bit less as I've been doing more of these of these events and things and speaking about my adventure and everything as, as it's been going on because like I said I'm, I'm more practiced at it yep do I love doing this I like sharing my story and potentially being an inspiration to others yeah. who have this issue but do I love coming on here is this what I expected my life to be not no. necessarily <laughs> <laughs> but I see the benefit of it for roughly and for girl up and so I'm all for it and you know I'm one of those people who like i I'm working through a lot of different issues, you know, like we talked about imposter syndrome, that's something and my anxiety issues with yep. depression. Like I've been working my way through issues for the past 10 years, I guess I'd say. And being introverted is not something that I want to work on, but I want to be able to feel like I can turn it on and it not kill me after the fact. Like I want right. to feel like I can feel confident in myself that I can leave this and still be okay and move on to the next thing without needing so much time to, to feel recharged after. Right. And you can set boundaries with it. So mm -hmm. after this, you're going to go sit and be alone after a speaking mm -hmm. event. Yeah. You don't have to go to the social pub crawl after or yeah. whatever they're doing. You can go and do your own thing and have, yep. you know, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. And that's and absolutely okay. Yeah. And I think the funny thing is, is you speak to a lot of motorcyclists, motorcycling is like the most introverted sport you can have because you have your helmet on and you are by yourself and you're riding through things. You don't need to speak to anybody. You don't need to do anything. You can just put your visor down and go. Mm -hmm. And the more it's funny, the more people that we meet, the more motorcyclists uh, that we speak to, the more we see how many of them are actually really introverted, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, they're obviously the ones who love to go out and have a good time and are very extroverted and are the life of the party. But then we do definitely find our own tribe as we go to these things and we meet people who are very similar to us. And yeah, maybe we are all sort of drawn to, to this sport um, for that, that same sort of reason. Right. You can just kind of let your mind wander on the road. And mm -hmm. then especially if you have your dog as your sidekick mm -hmm. or um, in the cockpit, I guess like it's not the side, it's on yeah. the back, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what else will you need in life? Like, I know, right? Seriously. Yeah, yeah we call it helmet hair? time. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's helmet time. You know, it's just being able to do that. And and for me, uh, so Greg is uh, Greg is also introverted, but he is much more of a talker than I am. Mm. So we have communicators. So we could talk to each other when we want to, when we're riding, if we're in the same, uh, if, if there's line of sight, then the communicators will work. 
And so we might strategize while we're riding about roughly and talk about business stuff. Other times I just say, no, I'm going now. I'm going to just turn on some music and listen and go. And, and it's fine. And it just works out. But it's, it's funny how we can both sort of do that when we want to, if we want to connect or, or not. Yeah. It's just whatever you feel like in the moment, whatever the day brings. Mm Yeah. (laughs) Where can people find Girl Up to donate? Um, Let's start there. Then where can they find you? So on our website, goroughly.com, there's a place where you hit donate now. That goes directly to a Girl Up uh, fundraiser page. Uh, If you donate there, uh, it'll go directly towards our $100,000 fundraiser. We don't see any of that money. It goes directly to them. It's 100% tax deductible in the U.S. um, And you'll receive a tax donation um, receipt from the U.N. Foundation. So if you see it on your credit card bill, U.N. Foundation is likely what it'll show up as. Um, So you can do that directly from our our goroughly.com website. And if you want to follow us, that's the great place to see all of our information. We do have a live tracker so you can sort of see where we are at wherever we it's are. It's really cool. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> it's very cool. And then we've got uh, Instagram and Facebook. We're at Go Roughly. And then our YouTube series, every Sunday we come out with a new episode. Um, so you can follow us at Go Roughly on YouTube as well. That's amazing. And that is basically your adventure, right? Yep. So you just 100%. set up the camera. Yep. Cool. Yep. Cool. So we've got, we've got four cameras going on our bikes. We've got our two iPhones and we sort of put everything together for like a 20 minute episode every Sunday. Does Moxie have a, like a POV camera? She, she used to, yes. Um, it's a bit shaky when she's wearing yeah. it. So we have a few of those, but I do have both of my cameras on my bike shooting so that you can see her and you can see her experience from the front and from the back. So you can experience the ride with her. <laughs> Give the people what they want, Jess. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You can see the pink goggles all day long. <laughs> Where's Moxie? What's she yeah. doing? <laughs> Uh, well this has just been absolutely wonderful before we finally sign off um you you've been full of words of encouragement for anybody that is struggling with you know even branching into entrepreneurship struggling with trying to find their identity trying to just decide what they want to do in life and pushing past some of the barriers that they set for themselves is there any other words you live by that you'd like to share Uh, As a motorcyclist, one of the key things that I always think about is you say, look where you want to go. If you're riding a motorcycle and you look off to the side uh, because you're worried about what's over there, your bike is going to veer towards there. It's inevitable. It's like you have to look in the direction that you want to go. And it's it's a metaphor for life, you know, like you you need to keep your eye on the thing that you're looking towards and that you want to achieve. And that's how you're going to get it. And it doesn't mean that you have to be 100% single minded. I'm not 100% single minded. Sometimes I swerve to get there, but I have my eye on it and I eventually will get there. And so I think people like just taking the time to think about what do you really want in life? What do you really want to focus on? Um, and then go for it and and make the effort and not to be too scared to, to go for it. Um, I, I was scared and I worked through it. And I think that if somebody is really anxious about it, doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means that it might take you a little bit more effort and maybe a little bit more time, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to get there. Absolutely. Sometimes it's a couple years. Yeah. I mean, that's, you guys have years ahead of you. Of course. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's not all going to happen at once, but it's one step at a time. Always look ahead. I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. One mile at a time, one kilometer at a time for my yeah. motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's uh, wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us, Jess. Aww, thanks, Courtney. That's great. Go after it one kilometer at a time. 
You know, if the United States wasn't so insistent on not using the metric system, that would be my motto. But one mile at a time it is. One mile at a time it is for us here in the States. This is now the United States of Zombieland. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jess. She's incredible. Moxie's incredible. Her husband's incredible. I'm stoked at their progress. Two and a half years left is a lot. I'm sure it'll fly by for her. And here's to hoping that they reach their goal with Girl Up. And you can help. I will put all of the information in the show notes to support Jess, to support Girl Up, and to make all of their dreams come true for their whole endeavor on the motorcycles with Moxie. Living the crazy life that they live, can't imagine being always on the road. I I know that it's becoming more commonplace for especially millennials, Gen Z to you know, get a sprinter van and go and live life on the road now that remote work is much more prevalent and is only picking up from here and influencer work is also much more prevalent. So working on the road is a very feasible thing for lots of people. I just don't know if it's ever for me and especially on a motorcycle. There is a beautiful mystery to it and definitely a draw of this off the grid life where you are flying by the seat of your pants you're doing what you want and you're seeing the country seeing the world there are a lot of perks to it but I feel like I would miss home Um, and I would miss things I'm like a thing person I really like my things and I have a lot of books and I do you know have to put them all in storage but I'm maybe someday. It's not always for everybody. That's why I'm so enthralled when people do it, and especially in the way that Jess is. Badass doesn't even begin to explain it. All right, friends. So your trivia for this episode. When were motorcycles invented and where? The where part of this is really fun for trivia, just in case you ever come across this. Remember this podcast and remember that Moxie is a German shepherd because motorcycles were invented in Germany. Bad Cannstatt, I probably butchered that. Bad Cannstatt, Germany. And it was designed and built by the German inventors Gottlieb Daimler and Wilhelm Maybeck in Bad Cannstatt, Germany in 1885. So the 1800s, right around the time when Frankenstein came out, Mary Shelley, shout out, my favorite novel. Um, 1818 is when that came out. So, you know, actually not really. Years, years past, but every time I think of 1800s, I think of (laughs) Victorian literature because I studied it. But 1885 in Germany, the motorcycle was invented. Remember that? Remember Moxie, that gorgeous German shepherd. She's the coolest dog I think I know. Don't tell James, my miniature schnauzer, I said that because I would not hear the end of it and he would surely bite me. I am so happy that you are here listening 
And if you did enjoy this episode, if you've listened to the past and you enjoyed other episodes, please, please, please share. Uh, the podcast is growing. It's very exciting. Share it with whoever you think it resonates with. If somebody is having a hard time with a career pivot, with believing in themselves, even at the very base level of that, please share this podcast. We're here to help. I am kind of obsessed with asking people a ton of questions and getting into the inner workings of their brain. And this is a great outlet for me to do that. And I hope that at least it helps you a little bit in the midst of my bit of a freak show here. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing. Please also subscribe and rate and review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. The reviews are really fun. I have one and I was so excited to see it. Uh, Thank you, whoever it was that left that. I know it's like small little podcast me. So stoked on the first one. Um, So would love more. Thank you for listening. Also, if you think that you would be a great fit as a guest, please reach out to me. Y-N-Q-Pod. Y-N is in Nancy Q-Pod at gmail.com. I also am at Y-N-Q-Pod on Instagram and a couple other social handles I'll link below. Get in touch. Let me know. If you know of somebody who would also be a great fit, please let them know and send them on my way. I would love to talk to them. Last but not least, if you have a story about your own experience with imposter syndrome, also send that on over, yncupod at gmail.com. I would love to read it and possibly also tell it on a future episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast because we are just trucking along at season three and couldn't be happier to be here. All right, friends, I am going to sign off. Please share, subscribe, do all of the things. And of course, go do that thing. I'll see you next Thursday.